with all the crap that has happened this season, it is really hard to believe that the New Orleans Saints have a chance to be just one half game out of first place in the NFC South if they win against Tampa Bay Bucks. I mean, it truly is hard to believe. So what do we think? Can they do it? Will they do it? We're going to talk about it with Jeff Duncan as we do before every Saints game here on Datitude, and it's coming up next. If you're looking for the latest scoop and in-depth interviews on the Saints, the NFL, the Pelicans, LSU, along with the best bets of the week, then lucky you. Along with high-powered, in-the-know guests who cover our teams, Jim Derry brings plenty of datitude. And he'll always tell you the way it is, or at least the way he thinks it is. Where you at, New Orleans? And hello to all my friends elsewhere waiting for... That's right, boys and girls. Monday Night Football. The New Orleans Saints are traveling to Raymond James Stadium to play the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, a place they have won four consecutive games. Don't jinx us, Jim Dewey. By God, you're not supposed to say that. Yeah, whatever. Fact, the Saints have won four straight games at Raymond James Stadium. They are trying to match their second longest streak of road wins against the division opponent in team history. They are on a current five game winning streak at Atlanta. They won, I believe, it was either seven or eight. It's in my trends column this morning, by the way, if you want to go look at it. Um, all right, trends column. Every day of every game, uh, it's got everything you could possibly want to know and way more. Every uh, You can go to bet.nola.com and check that out. Uh, but in my trends column, I think it was seven or eight games in a row against the Los Angeles Rams. Uh, they won in Los Angeles. In fact, the last year they won against the Rams in that streak was the last year that the Rams played in L.A. before moving to St. Louis and then eventually moving back to L.A. Neither here nor there can the Saints do it, but more importantly than a winning streak of really meaningless proportions in, in the terms of a series, it's much more important that the Saints win one in a row in their season tonight, which would be for the fifth time this year if they were able to do it. Because we all know, we've talked about it, they have yet to string together back-to-back victories. How incredibly odd is it and sad, frankly, that the Saints are now in December. They have not won two games in a row, but yet they have a chance to get themselves within a half game of the division lead. Because Atlanta lost to Pittsburgh yesterday, at 5-8, and eight, the Saints would be one half game behind the Tampa Bay Bucks if they were to win, and the Bucks have to go to San Francisco next week on a short week across the country. Enjoy that. Tom Brady and company. I don't care if Jimmy G's playing well, he's not playing. I don't care that Jimmy G is not playing and Brock Purdy is the quarterback. Tampa Bay against that defense is going to have one hell of a time. But if the Bucs win tonight and get to 6-6, six and six, doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I mean, you can go pencil it in. 
I know Atlanta would only be a, a game back or whatever, or I guess they would be a game and a half back. Um, whatever it is, I don't have the standings in front of me, and frankly, I don't care because the division stinks. But you can go pencil it in. If the Tampa Bay Bucks win tonight, they're winning the division. They have two tough games coming up at San Francisco and then home against Cincinnati. All the more reason. While the Saints unbelievably, unfathomably have this thing in their own hands. They truly do. They win this football game tonight. They have the world by the junk. They do. Because they can, they got a bye week coming up. Atlanta has a bye week as well. And then if they win this game, San Francisco beats Tampa Bay next week. They're all tied. And then the Saints get Atlanta the following week. And Tampa Bay has to play Cincinnati, who's fighting for a division title. They're not going to beat Cincinnati. I mean, they could, but I doubt it. So just in time for your final week of Christmas shopping, Think about it. The Saints, if all goes right, and it's not inconceivable in any shape or fashion. I can't even believe I'm saying it. The Saints really have a a realistic chance of being in first place by a full game when you go to bed on December, well, I guess it would be the 19th because the Saints play on the 18th, which is a Saturday. I think the Bucs play on the 19th. So when you go to bed on December 19th, there's a serious chance as you go into your final week before Christmas that after all the BS that has gone on this season and after all the crap that we have watched and after all the disappointments and controversies and injuries and coaching woes and quarterback just... I don't even know how to put it. That the Saints could be in first place by a full game on the night of December the 19th. That's insane. So I remember when the Saints had to go to Seattle and Seattle was 7-9. And, and people were saying, oh, they shouldn't have to go. No one's going to complain if the Saints find a way to win this division at 8-9. And, and host a playoff game. No one's going to be complaining about that. Nope. You take what the good Lord gives you. And Roger Goodell and whoever else wants to give me anything. Oh, so what do we think about tonight um, coming up with Dunk? We had an interesting, we had a longer than usual conversation. It was fun. Uh, what I did not mention is, some of you may know this, some of you may not. I wrote it in my trends column this morning. The Saints will be wearing those black helmets tonight with the gold fleur de on it. second time in franchise history. They are 0-1 when they wear those black helmets. I'm just pointing out the, the factual information. Lost to the Vikings. However, they are 0-0 in the United States of America when they wear the black helmets. Because they've never worn them in the United States of America. They wore them in London to play the Vikings. So they'd be wearing that along with their color, white color rush unis. Um, look, why don't they make those uniforms their regular road uniforms? The Saints need it. Look, I'm not saying drastic change by any means. Please, I'm not, I don't want the Saints to go changing their colors or anything and making these drastic changes. The Saints, uh, uh, they're due for a tune-up on their uniforms, frankly. I'm, I'm, and those, when they wear the all white on the road, and they, 
Thankfully, they haven't done that a whole bunch this year. Wear the white jerseys with the black pants, except when you're wearing the color rushes. Excuse me, which again should be, you know, going off at a tangent. I mean, I guess who cares about uniforms when you, when you play like dog do? But uh, I do. It matters to me. Those stupid things matter to me. Um, so you'll 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 be able to watch the game. And remember the last time Saints wore the color rush unis in Tampa? Oh, it was last year. Beat Tampa as a what were they like? I think the Saints were like ten or eleven point underdogs. Saints won nine to nothing. First time that Tom Brady had been shut out in his career. Nine to nothing. Cam Jordan had a field night. Could he have one tonight? Because the Tampa Bay Bucks, their offensive line is all banged up. So we get into the infam- we get into the matchups and all that. And I don't want to give you too much ahead of time, but we're going to talk about it. In fact, we're going to talk about it right now with Jeff Duncan. Dunk, what's going on? Not much. Good weekend, JD. A lot of football to watch. Uh, Pelicans are rolling, so it's uh, it's all good. Did uh, did you get a chance to relax at all with the Saints not playing on on? Well, I know you work no, Saturday. I was, I was at Yulman Stadium for that epic game on on Saturday. What an incredible experience that was! Great environment. Uh, I, I don't think I've ever well, I, I've never seen Tulane and, and Yulman Stadium like that. It was a really great scene. So. Great story, one of the best stories in college football with Tulane Green Wave, and uh, yeah, enjoyed every minute of it. Well, we're going to spend most of the morning talking about Saints Bucks, and we welcome your your comments, or questions, or predictions, or anything else you might want to have. You might have to say we're we're happy to take them here on on Datitude. Just punch them in your uh, on YouTube and Facebook. If you're on Twitter, you're going to have to message me or, or uh, tag me at Jim Derry Jr. and we'll get your comment on the air here and uh we're going to be on until about 10 a.m this morning but but Tulane you know that kind of gets overshadowed in the whole thing and I know I was guilty of it when I was doing the uh the newsletter for for Sunday morning you know I let off with LSU and then I thought later on you know what I should have let off with Tulane we're just but what an accomplishment for the Green Wave to go to the Cotton Bowl I think if you would have told any of us I mean I, I don't know which one is more surprising the fact that LSU went to the SC championship game or the fact that Tulane had a 10-win season after losing 11 last year, and they're going to a New Year's Six Bowl. Well, I think it's uh, – I did some research over the weekend that matches their nine-game improvement in the win column matches the most in the history of college football. So I'd say, I'd say it's pretty remarkable. Well, then there you go. I think that's the answer to that yeah. question. I think it's ha- happened about three or four other times historically. Now, you got an extra – extra game now so it's a little skewed on the on right. the numbers but still historically for Tulane to make a New Year's Day bowl uh, this hasn't happened since the 1939 season they played the game in uh, January 1 1940 Sugar bowl? Uh, as I pointed out in my column JD that was the same year that Gone with the Wind and the Wizard of Oz debuted at the box office that's how long it's been that's insane to be I mean really if you think about it so I guess the answer is Tulane and uh, I mean, you know, you don't want to even really call it a surprise all that much because uh, for for LSU because I mean, even though in the grand scheme of things, I think it's way beyond what anyone expected from the beginning of the year. At the same time, if you're an LSU fan, it's still what you expect to go to the SEC championship game. So it didn't go the way the Tigers wanted to. I think had the opening part of the game not been like it was, it would have been much closer. Um, you can't allow mental mistakes to happen against the number one team in the country, and really. That's what LSU did, Dunk. You know, 
Yep. You, you get the field goal blocked and you're just standing around, kind of moping around. And Georgia says, ha, 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 we'll pick it up and run it back for a touchdown. That, that changed the whole flow of the game. I think that if, even if it's blocked and, you know, they don't score there, it's a different ball game. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, those things tend to happen a lot, you know, like the, yeah. the, with those missed block field goals. A lot of, I know coaches probably uh, talk about it with their teams. And, and, you know, so I'm, I'm sure it wasn't something that they never, uh, you know, broached it during meetings. But in the moment, uh, young kids forget on that stage. And, uh, yeah, it was a huge turnaround. You're going, getting ready to go ahead, take the early lead. All of a sudden, you're behind by seven. And Georgia, you just can't make those mistakes against. I mean, and, and look, they imposed their will in the second half. I mean, they are an excellent team on both sides of the ball. They got a 25-year-old quarterback. I mean, Stetson Bennett's old enough to be working out in the real world right now, and he's uh, going against 18, 19-year-olds. So uh, they, they're going to be very difficult to knock out, uh, I think, in the national championship for back-to-back titles. I, I, I told Zach the other day, I mean, I tell you what, you can have the field. Give me Georgia. And actually, I've been saying that before they even announced any pairings or anything else. You know, I do want to, at some point in the show, I mean, I want to get the Saints Bucks, and I know that's what people are here to talk to listen to mostly, but uh, I do want to talk a little bit about the selection committee and and because I, I, I think it's kind of a farce. I mean, I don't think anyone's surprised to know that I think that way, but uh, it will be better when it goes to 12. Uh, there won't be anyone that will be left out that deserves to be in any conversation for a national championship. Even the committee can't screw that up, but... Uh, you know, I just I think that uh, I, you're probably going to disagree with me, but that's that's okay. Well, well, let me just say this real quick. We'll get into it later, but I agree with you. I mean, I, I think I've been on the 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 stump for years to go to a 12 team playoff. Actually, I wanted 16 because that's what the one double A, you know, whatever you want to call it, uh, FCS level has been at for years. If if they can do it, uh, and every other level of college football can have 16. Some of them have 24 now. There's no reason why major college football, the highest level, can't do it. I know that it's complicated by the bowl system. But, uh, Jim, the, the thing I've always said is we get a true champion that way to some degree. No yep. one can argue about the fact that it's we're, we're picking teams on paper. We're, we're not having them play and prove it. And that, that's the problem I've got with, uh, you know, this college football selection process, uh, you know, just think about it this way. One week ago, you had four different teams in there. Now right. four different teams are in it this week. Uh, and if we went one more week of the regular season, there'd be four different teams. I mean, because things happen. And that doesn't mean they're the four best teams. It's just who's the four best at that time. And that, that gives you a little bit of a greater margin for error if you have, like say, 16 teams. I think everybody's going to get a shot. And no one can walk away saying that they, they didn't have an opportunity to win it all. I think back to the year that LSU – won it all. I covered them a lot that year when they, I think they had two ties that year. Um, and the only reason they even got in the title game was by sheer they had two losses. Yeah. West Virginia uh, lost, I think to Pitt in their big rivalry. Right. And, and, and the same, I mean, New Orleans, uh, gosh, LSU. LSU gets in the title game and, and, and wins. I mean, there could have been four or five other teams that might've been better than LSU that year. I mean, LSU tied, a bad Kentucky team that year. Right. So uh, that's my point is, is it needs to be broadened. I think it's going to be better for college football. 
uh, it, it will allow more competition and more parity, and that's desperately needed at the highest level of the sport. Well, I can't wait to see how they, they screw up how they're going to pick the teams. I mean, when you get in there, I mean, if you, you're going to have 12 teams. That's great. But how are you going to pick the 12, 12 teams? I mean, they, they, they completely manipulated this whole thing. And, I mean, to, to keep TCU at number three after they lost to Kansas State, is is absurd. That's that's number one. I mean, it it's one thing to leave TCU in there, and I, I frankly don't think they're the the third or fourth best team in the country. I I think that Alabama is clearly better than TCU. I mean, I don't, and it doesn't. It was even before they lost to Kansas State. If you put TCU and Alabama on the same field or in a neutral field, Alabama is going to be at least at least at the bare minimum a seven point favorite. I mean, Alabama. If this is about the the four best teams in the country. And if it's not about the four best teams in the country and it's about the four best resumes in the country, which is with the argument that I was having with Zach Ewing all weekend via text, if it's the four best resumes in the country, then say that. Then I, then, I, then it's different. But you don't say that. You try to make pretend like it's the four best teams in the country. And there's no way anyone can convince me that TCU is better than Alabama. And does Alabama deserve to be in there? Not necessarily. But, uh, but this is supposed to be about the four best teams in the country. And I know you don't want two SEC teams and two Big Ten teams. I get it, but that's what it is this year. The four best teams in the country happen to be two from the SEC and two from the Big Ten, I, just the way that it is. Yeah, no, I'm with you. But I would like to see it expanded to where we can 100% get on the field. Because right now, agree. all of us are guessing. I mean, nobody really knows anything until they play. And, and that's why I've always – I mean – on paper, LSU was not supposed to beat Alabama, but they did that one night, a magical night. That's right. That's what makes the sport so great. You, you need to play it on the field. If they had a college football committee dis- determining the LSU-Alabama game before it was played, Alabama would have gotten the victory because they, they would have had a better resume. Got to play the game on the field, and, and that's why I've always said, uh, you know, highest level of college football is, is the worst as far as – how they decide their championship. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree with that more. And uh, again, making twelve teams is better. But what took you so long? I mean, I'm this. This is this will fix it to some degree. Um, and the and so the best four teams, which is the goal, I would assume are going to get in this this thing. The I don't know how they're going to structure this thing, but um, at least we know the best four teams will get in. When you got twelve, you can't. You, even you can't screw that up, NCAA. But what took you so long? Why, why have we waited so long? I mean, you know, I, I think if you would have asked me 10 years ago about the transfer portal and the, and the NIL money and all this stuff, if you would have asked me that 10, 12 years ago, I would have told you it was crazy. It's going to screw college football up. But you know what? Now the NCAA deserves what it gets. I feel completely different. I hope the kids get – the kids should be able to do whatever they want to do because they have been treated completely wrong by the NCAA. It was all about money. Don't care. I, I'm still convinced. They don't care about the kids. It's about what – what ends up in the coffers of the NCAA? So, and well, it's look, still that way. Real quick, before opinion. we get to Buck Saints, the last thing I'd say about all that is, I think the bowl system is complicated. It because you know, look, we have the Sugar Bowl right here in town, and uh, you know, when I moved here, I didn't know much about the history and legacy of the Sugar Bowl. And the more I've been here in this market, I realize how important it is to the city, uh, the history and tradition. So. I, I get that you want to try and preserve that, and I think that's been the complicating factor is how do we keep these bowls that have been such a great part of our sport for, for centuries, and how do we make that 
uh, still viable and relevant within the playoff system. And I think there's a way to do it, and it shouldn't take that long. I agree with you, but I think that's been a little bit of the complicating factor because you've got two competing agendas there, and they need to kind of come together for the good of the sport. Well, there's a way to do it. I mean, I, I, that you could incorporate the bowls into the playoffs if you want. I mean, you call it the, you know, the the Sugar Bowl semifinals or whatever. I mean, you could come up with a name and make, way to make it work. But I, I'm not saying get rid of the bowls. I mean, I, the bowls are important to I think to, you know, a lot of people. But uh, anyway, all right, we've talked about that long enough. If you have something to say about this, be free to to type it in the comment section. We'll be glad to to put it up and 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 chat about it or at least show your comment. We do have one uh, question that Joseph Schneider asked about 10 minutes ago, and I never, I never posted it because I wanted you to be able to ask, answer the, the question. Did the goalposts come down Saturday after the two-lane win, Dunk? No, they did not. And that was actually a, an interesting uh, part of the story. I, you know, I realized <clears throat> once they were going to win that, uh, you know, they were going to be storming the field. So I went yeah. down about five minutes left got on the field and positioned myself to kind of get some video of that kind of epic scene. And I watched the students and the security and police uh, negotiate. And it was very encouraging. I, I, I loved every bit of it. Basically, the police told Tulane students, they told the fans, look, we're going to let you all storm the field, but just be under control. We don't want to get people hurt and leave the goalposts alone. They said, if you do that, you can have at it. And if you notice... I know there's a lot of people on my on my video that I posted on Twitter were commenting, oh, they didn't storm the field. They kind of just moseyed out there. That's because the police told them, be under control. They didn't want people to get injured. You know, there were a lot of older people, alumni, and they didn't want the students to come trampling. You know, I'm sure a bunch of them were a little inebriated. So they wanted them to be under control, uh, and they wanted them to leave the goalpost alone. And so they abided by it, and you had this great scene because of it. I thought it was – I thought it was really sounds good like, work by the security team there. Sounds like Mardi Gras. You know, you tell them, look, you guys can go hang out on a neutral ground all day long. Just just don't tear down the, the trees. Don't jump in the trees and, and put your put your ladders away from the curb. Otherwise, you know. So it sounds like everybody, a good time was had by all in Uptown. Yes. Crazy uh, scene. It was, it was epic. And I really felt good for the uh, – the people involved in that program over at Tulane because they've had a lot of lean years over the last no decades and, uh, you know, kind of built up to this magical season. Got a lot of Tulane friends um, who were giving me the business a little bit and good. I mean, I'm glad the rivalry is back. I would have liked to see an LSU and Tulane in a bowl game. would have been fun. And we had a comment actually earlier. <clears throat> excuse me. Um, Wayne Eddington says, and, and rightfully so, I didn't even realize this till he, he put it, he commented that LSU and Tulane the bowl games are on at the same time. Yes. That, that, that's exact you know, same thing happened in the championship game Saturday. It did. And, you know, these are things you can't avoid a championship game. I understand that. And I guess to some extent you can't avoid bowl. But I mean, to me, that ought to be thought of. That ought to be in consideration. To well, you got extent. two different bowls, and they, I they, get it. Know, they don't know Tulane and LSU, you know. I, I, I guess I get it's it. Just, it's just unfortunate. It, it really is. But, uh, you know, guys like me who, you know, I'm I'm I went to LSU, so and I'm I'm born and bred purple and gold. So I mean, I'm going to be watching LSU, but I want to watch Tulane too. So now I'm going to have to figure out a way to move the other TV in there. Or I had two TVs in the den for a while, and the wife said no to that. So maybe she'll let me for for January second. We'll see how that goes. Uh, 
we'll we'll go from there. All right, let's move on to Saints at Bucks, which is the general, you know, theme of this show. And uh, and it's why Dunk and I get together every Friday, although it's Monday today, uh, of course, because the Saints are playing on Monday Night Football. And, Dunk, when you go into tonight, it is uh, quite the interesting situation. If you would have told, A, if you would have told me uh, before the season started that the Saints would be heading into Monday night uh, a game and a half back behind the Bucs, I would have said, okay, that's, that's, that's reasonable. I, I, can, I can see that. The Bucs are what? They're, they're nine and three, and, and the Saints are, you know, seven and five or something along those lines. No, 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 no. Tampa Bay is five and six. Tom Brady, for the first time in his career, first time in his career that he has a losing record this far into the season. He is five and six. The Saints are four and eight. But if the Saints win tonight because of Atlanta's loss yesterday, they will just be a half game out going into their bye week of the NFC South lead. That is unfathomable to me. Yeah, uh, it's. I'm just. I'm, I'm, this season has blown my mind. The fact that the Saints have been as bad as they are, and yet they still have hope. You know, they still have a chance in this in this sorry division. And what's what's really crazy is watching the Cowboys last night. Yeah, there's a real strong chance they're going to be a wild card team, and they might be the second best team in the NFC right now. They might be the best team. And they might have to come to Tampa Bay or New Orleans because of this crazy playoff system. It's all going to come back to New Orleans if that happens the way it did against them when they had to go to Seattle a few years ago. Dallas plays Tampa Bay again. They're going to blow the doors off of them this time. Oh, yeah. They're I mean, Dallas is head and shoulders better than Tampa Bay. And that it goes to show the difference between a team that has chemistry and a team that doesn't. I mean, people say oh, chemistry doesn't matter or it's not that important to me it is the most important thing of course you have to have the athletes you have to have a good coaching staff but if you don't have chemistry you don't have anything i mean these saints don't these these saints players it's basically for all intents and purposes it's the same team that this that they had last year except with fewer injuries and even with all the injuries they've had fewer injuries and a more a more stable quarterbacking situation which is also hard to believe because that's been bad too but the fact that the Saints went nine and eight last year goes to show you how much that chemistry and coaching matters in this league. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I mean, I think uh, we've talked about it on the show before, but I think they're missing some intangible elements on this team. They, yeah, they've got question. talent, but there's there's just something I can't quite put my finger on. It's hard to explain. Talk to some other people that cover the team; they say the same thing. Uh, and you're right; it's probably that intangible of chemistry. Look, they've got a good locker room of, of guys. I mean, it, but they're missing some leadership, I think, and maybe a little um, a little edge, if, if, if you know what I mean. No like, doubt. There's just a lack of kind of intensity. Uh, they, they, they play hard. I've heard numerous players tell me how intense Dennis Allen is in the meeting rooms during the week and at practice. He's much more intense and, and emotional there Can't than he is it. during games. So I know fans see it and they think, oh, he's – I he's can't just believe. Too, yeah, he's milk toast. He's not like that during the week, but during games, he's he's the exact opposite of Sean Payton, who's fiery and intense during the game and is more of a teacher during the week. I hear what you're saying. I ain't buying it. Nobody, no one that is that calm on the outside during a game can be. Uh, 
I don't know. I'm not going to get on Dennis Allen today. That's for another day, I think. I mean, I've already. Yeah, I got a big game. Let's we'll see, let's, yeah, let's well, see let's, how this thing plays out tonight. Speaking of the big game tonight, we have a question from Brian Riles who asks, with Pete Werner, Werner returning to practice limited, do you think he will play? I can't imagine that he doesn't play tonight, right? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I look at him similar to like some of the other players they've had come back from injury where they kind of work them in slowly. Yeah. I think the fact that Caden Ellis has been playing so well, that's uh, true. you know, gives, gives them a little bit of, uh, you know, flexibility there, but uh, getting Warner back. And, and, and I think the emergence of Caden Ellis really gives this team a, a lot of options now, you know, at the linebacker position, DeMario's under contract for three more years. Those guys are also, you know, younger players that I'm sure they'd like to have back. So it kind of, it kind of been a blessing in disguise, Pete Werner's injury, because it allowed Ellis to get more, more opportunity, and he shined in that in that little window he had. You looking forward to seeing uh, Marshawn Lattimore come come back and stick a thorn in the side of Mike Evans again? Yeah, well, I mean, I, I think Lattimore's questionable tonight, and I think Evans Evans is back. Yeah, he fully participates. Coming back, they had a long injury list. I mean, they do. This is just as bad as Saints. Yeah, they're the Tristan Wirfs. That's a huge loss. That's the number one loss for them. Yeah, he's their best offensive lineman by far, and he yeah. has given Cam Jordan all kinds of problems since he's come into the league. Uh, Jordan had his way uh, with their left tackle over the years, um, but he, he's not had as much success with Wirfs, who's uniquely kind of built to handle Cam Jordan. He's very strong, very athletic. And then Antoine Winfield's doubtful tonight, and that guy is a stud. He is a great player. He's the guy that knocked the ball out from Jared Cook that everybody wants to blame Cook about. I just felt like it was a great play by Winfield. But my point oh. is, they're missing they're missing some very good players too. Sean Murphy Bunning, I think, is doubtful tonight. And uh, let me look here one more. Mike Edwards, the safeties. You know, Dunk, you're just you're, so you're missing. They're secondly really banged up. And I, I think the Saints have a real shot in this game tonight. I know they're all in. I was out there this week. And uh, they feel good about their plan. They know they match up well with them. Uh, they're going to get – Tampa Bay is going to get the Saints A game. Now, whether that's good enough, we're going to find out. Yeah, we're going to get to our predictions at the end of the show, which is going to come, I'd say, around 10.05, 10.10. We're going to run until today. So, we, before we go off the air, Jeff Duncan and I will give our predictions as we do every week. Uh, hello, Ryan. Thanks for joining us. And, and, you know, I showed Jerry's comment earlier, but Jerry's with us as he always is. We thank you for joining us as well, Jerry. And uh, I know we'll see you on Bayou Bets later this afternoon. But we're going to leave your comments. you you got plenty of time to do that if you want to give your prediction. Uh, that's that's good as well. But all the things you talked about, Dunk, are going to be part of my prediction that we're going to get to in, in a little bit. I do want to get to – I find this fascinating. Uh, this line, and you look at the line, and it's now minus three Tampa Bay. One week ago – in fact, one week ago and maybe about six or eight hours ago, it was Tampa Bay minus six. Yes. It has gone down from minus six, and then it spent most of the week, it was minus three and a half. And I didn't think it would get past three and a half, which is why I didn't I didn't bet it because I, w- I was waiting to see what happened. I thought it might go back to four because usually, usually you don't go up that three and a half cliff. You usually go back up to four or it stays three and a half. Very rarely in the betting world, do you see a two and a half go to three? But even more rare, do you see a three and a half go go to three? That hardly, especially when you've seen the line movement. So, man, the sharps are all over the Saints, which um, 
makes me almost nervous to bet it if I was thinking about it. I usually bet Monday night. Even if I don't love it, I'll bet it just for a little bit of fun. After the week I had, I don't, I don't know. I had my worst weekend of the year uh, with, with, the, uh, with the sports books. But, uh, you know, I got to tell you, this is a strange line to me. Get it. It's a get-out game, man. Get out with uh, the Saints. I, I, I do think the Saints are in a really good position. They're catching the Bucks at a good time, except for the Bucks lost last week kind of in a tough fashion against the Browns. Uh, so I think the Bucks know if they can beat the Saints, they kind of eliminate them from the playoffs consideration or the division title consideration. So they're going to have some incentive. But I just I like this, that the Saints – played well last week. I mean, you saw San Francisco yesterday. They were their third-string quarterback, and they they throttled Miami in the second half, wore them down. We see what kind of team San Francisco is, and the Saints played them much better than Miami did. So I think that's an encouraging sign that defensively this team is kind of starting to find itself, especially on the back end with Paulson Adebo uh, really emerging now, that they, they can match up well. I think it's going to be a low-scoring game. Uh, a physical game. We know it's going to be a lot of trash talk, and there always is. It always gets a little chippy. But with the fact that the Bucks can't run the ball at all, I just I don't know how they're going to move the ball on the Saints uh, offensively. I think the Saints have a big edge there. Yeah, we're going to get to the stat graphing in just a minute. That goes to Nick, Uncle Big Nick's point. Uh, he says it's got to be a 13-10 type game. I don't know. I don't think it's going to be that low scoring. I, I did. I'm on the, the the what's the total? Forty one, I believe. Let me let me put the graphic back up uh, here. I believe, yeah, forty one. And that moved up. That was forty, and it moved to forty and a half, and now it's forty one. And I, I don't think it's going to go higher than that. So um, I'm kind of on the on the fence with that total. That's about right, in my opinion. I'm not going to play the total for sure. <clears throat> if you were forced, if you forced me to play the total, I would probably take the over, but just slightly. I don't think it's going to go way over. But I think, but I think it'll be a, I don't know, twenty-four twenty-ish type game. That, that's that's where I, where I see this line. Interesting. Uh, I did my trends column this morning, uh, and I literally did it this morning. I did it like, don't ask me why. Three in the morning. That's when I wrote this uh, trends column. But um, the Saints, if they were to win tonight, it would be their fifth consecutive victory in Tampa. It would have matched the second longest such streak against the division opponent in team history. Because the Saints are also on a current five-game winning streak in Atlanta. They've now won five straight games in Atlanta. Saints won eight games in a row in Los Angeles against the Rams from 87 to 94. So to say that this doesn't happen very often, even against a team like the Bucks, the Saints have fared very well against them at Tampa Bay. In fact, they have the second most wins in their history against one team. It's Tampa Bay is number two, only to Atlanta. But they've played Atlanta 45 more times. Right. So the Saints have had a lot of success uh, against Tampa. Dunk, what do you attribute that to? I mean, you can't just say it's, you know, pre-Tom Brady they, they stunk because they didn't always stink. Even in the year when they won the Super Bowl, their first Super Bowl in 2002, Tampa Bay went 12-4. and four, And guess who two of those four losses were to? The yep. Saints. So I don't know what the Saints, you know, after 1977 when they, they let Tampa Bay win that, uh, that first game in, te- in franchise history. Ever since then, it's been mostly Saints. Yeah, I, I've covered a lot of those games down there over the years, and uh, it's a great stadium to watch a game. It's an easy trip for New Orleanians. It's a, I think it's a direct flight down there. It's a very short flight. So you end up with a lot of Saints fans at Raymond James Stadium right. over the years. I mean, I've seen them take over that stadium. So it ends up being less of a 
really hostile environment. It almost feels like a home away from home. And uh, New Orleanians come down there and tailgate a great tailgate area around Raymond James Stadium. And we know Saints fans love that. So I've, I've seen a lot of those games where the Saints take the crowd out and it becomes very quiet in there. They're, they're not exactly a, a passionate fan base in Tampa. Uh, there, there's a little nouveau reach fan base there when Tom Brady came aboard, but for the most part, it's an indifferent market. And uh, I think the saints have taken advantage of that. They're just there for the party is what you're saying. Yeah. They're just, it's, I mean, it's Hanging Florida. The pirate ship. a lot of transplants in Florida. It's always That's been that way. Um, Ryan correctly states that if the saints win tonight and next week, Tampa loses the San Fran. Well, he says they'll most likely win the division, you know, I don't necessarily agree with that part, but th- it will be a fact. If if the Saints win this game, and I don't know who Atlanta plays next week, but if the Saints win this game, and next week Atlanta and Tampa Bay lose, then there'll be a three-way tie atop the NFC South at 5-8. and eight. And it is very possible because Tampa does play at San Francisco next week. And, and I get, Dunk, that the 49ers are now without Jimmy G., but they look pretty good with Brock Purdy out there. Yeah, basketball. Brock Purdy's not bad. I've seen him play. He's, he's not a bad option. Things are going to get a lot tougher as they go forward. You know, I have that. I wrote that for for our betting column earlier this year. Uh, you know, there's a there's a theory out there about first time quarterbacks, and they come into games like that and often play well because there's no expectations. They're loose. They haven't gotten nervous, and uh, then the next week things uh, change because teams have film on you. They game plan for you. And you've had a week to think about it. And uh, you often see quarterbacks in their first start or their first game play well, and then things kind of level out. So we'll see how that goes going forward. That's a good 49ers team, though. But here's the thing about, about tonight's game for the Saints. They go all in, win this game. they got a bye week. They can get healthy. Right. You know, get some of these key guys back. And the stretch run is very manageable. I mean, you got the Falcons at home. You get the Browns on the road, the Eagles, obviously. That looks like a very t- difficult game. Then you got Carolina. They very conceivably could win three of those four. So if you win this one, you win four of your last five, it's probably going to be good enough to win the division considering how bad everybody else is playing. So I, I, I think the Saints, that, that's probably why that line's moved. The Sharps know the Saints are all in on this game. They just they cannot beat themselves tonight. I mean, I think that's going to be the marching orders. It's a fine line, right? They've got to be aggressive, but they can't make those mistakes that have cost them like they did in San Francisco. Oh, don't you're the ultimate op- optimist, aren't you? I mean, kind of. come on. Well, they, their longest winning streak of the year is one win, so it's hard to believe they're going to win four of their last five. Yeah, sp- speaking of that, uh, I had a note this morning about, uh, let's see, Tom Brady. It is the first time since 2005. I mean, the Saints haven't won back-to-back games. So the Bucs have only done it. I think they've done it twice. They won back-to-back, but they have not won three in a row. It is the first time since 2005 that Tom Brady has gone this far into a season without a three-game winning streak. So, yeah. I, you know, people, like, joke about stuff. I mean, but to me, that's a significant thing. That's a significant stat. I mean, to go this far in the season, Tom Brady just goes to show he's not the same player that he's been. Um, so now well, everything Dunk says is true, but uh, it's 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 a little bit of optimism going on there. Tampa Bay, look, and and, and someone rightfully pointed out. Actually, a couple of people did, and I, and they're right. G points out that Atlanta's on a bye week next week with the Saints. So and then they will play on the Saturday after that on December the 18th. 
So, uh, so the Saints don't need the Falcons to lose. They just need they need to win tonight. If they win tonight and Tampa Bay loses at San Francisco next week, there's a three-way tie in the NFC South. And by the way, after that, Tampa Bay has to play the Cincinnati Bengals. So their schedule is not easy at all. Then they go to Arizona, which seems like it should be easy, but it's not. I mean, going to Arizona, it's not going to be easy for Tampa Bay to win at Arizona. They probably won't have anything to play for by then, but I don't know, man. So their schedule is not easy at all, and they finish the season with Carolina and at Atlanta. So we'll see if it matters by then. The Saints definitely have a tougher schedule overall than the Bucks do, but next week at San Francisco, that's a key game for the Bucs. If the Saints win this game tonight, that's the one you, you need to be watching. So we're going to talk more about that in a little bit. But I want to talk about the matchups because we like to get into this every week. And uh, we talk about – I always talk about Dunk for the Saints. If they are playing against a team that has a solid rushing defense, they're in trouble because then it's all on Andy Dalton's shoulders. And we've seen what's, what has happened – happened in the past this year i'm not putting everything on andy dalton so the you andy dalton lovers get off my back i'm just telling you what i've seen and it's shown to become fact so it, it, it is what it is when the saints play a solid rushing defense team they can't win they just can't win and so here we are the bucks don't have a solid rushing defense they're not very good against the run they're 20th and their passing defense is, is six but i think tonight has got to be and I know Alvin Kamara is not, hasn't been that great as of late, but it's got to be a Kamara and Taysom kind of game. I agree 100%. I think they've got to be able to establish a run. It, traditionally, Tampa Bay has been very good against a run. It hasn't been the case this year. I know they've had meetings. I think Devin White called a meeting of the defense uh, this week, you know, one of those players-only things. So we'll see if that translates to improved play there. We know they got the talent in their front seven. But they've just been off all year. They, they look like a team. We talked about it even preseason. The, the, the Bucks were being highly overvalued. Uh, they just felt like a team, the way their roster had matured. They'd won a Super Bowl and an aging quarterback that had one foot out the door and a new head coach. There was a lot of reasons to see this kind of drop-off in the Bucks, And they just look like a, a kind of fat and happy team that's on cruise control. They won the ring. And now they're looking for maybe contract money, but they're they're not as invested in the mission as they were when they won that Super Bowl. Yeah, I think they're more of a mess than the Saints are. I'm not saying a whole lot. I, yeah. I I think a the Saints are a better football team. I keep here. I've been hearing all week that and, and a lot from the these sharps that I listen to during the week when I have time that you know Tampa Bay is a better team. Tampa Bay's not a better team. You tell me what is better about Tampa Bay than the New Orleans Saints. I don't think that quarterback. <laughs> well, other than that, I mean, obviously a quarterback, there's a big right. difference, but I think the saints are right now, the saints offensive line's better. I mean, Tristan Wirfs is out and Ryan Jensen's been out all season. I, I think that those, if you look at the, the whole of the saints offensive line, they're better. I think the saints are better at running back. I think the saints, the Tampa Bay is probably a little bit better at wide receiver, but they haven't played that well either. And Chris Godwin's been out most of the season. I think when you go on defense, I think the Saints' defense is better than Tampa Bay's defense. I mean, I, I, I don't know. And, look, you can say whatever you want about Dennis Allen, and I, Lord knows I've given him grief, but Dennis Allen is on a different plane better than Todd Bowles. Todd Bowles is an awful coach. He's a, he's a fine defensive coordinator, 
but he's a terrible coach. He can't manage a game to, to save his life. Yeah, look, I, I think this game comes down to one simple kind of formula. The Saints, well, avoiding avoiding turnovers, don't give the Bucks any 100%. Field. That's a stat. That's yeah, a stat and, and the, the, the line on both sides of the line of scrimmage have to win. I mean, I know that's 100%. basic football, but we've seen games this year where the Saints haven't won up front, and, it, and it's been ugly. Their offensive line has to bring it tonight. And if they dominate and give Andy Dalton protection – uh, they did a good job for the most part against the 49ers. I thought they kind of handled the 49ers for the most part. I agree. Uh, you know, pass rush. If they can do that, I think he can manage the game enough to where they can win. Uh, if I were betting the game right now, and obviously I'm not, but if I were, I would just bet the Saints on the money line because I think that's a better – I don't know what the money line is, but I think they I think either win the game or they'll they just implode and get – get beat by a lot. I don't think that it's going to be one of these things. I think it's a better value, put it that way. Plus 143. So you bet fourteen. You bet $10 to win $14.30 or $100 to win $143 or somewhere in between, but with that ratio, 1.43 to 1 is what it is. Yeah. I, I just think the Saints are, uh, you know, if they get up early in this game and, and can manage to get a lead and play with a lead where, they're, where you can be balanced on offense – and then the defense can get after Brady, that pass rush. We know how they do it. The formulas, it's been worn out over the years. They yeah. they only rush four. They play back in coverage. They get those four to get after him. And, look, they did a good job against Garoppolo last week, even though Garoppolo, they only, I think they only sacked Agreed. him. Like, yeah, a few times. but Once. No, once. Okay. Well, but they, it felt like they had him. They had him antsy in the pocket. He was affected. And that's Agreed. all they have to do with Brady. We've seen it before. Get in his face, and if he starts getting affected and starts getting the ball out very quick, the Saints got to tackle well. Uh, they tackled really well last week against San Francisco. They got to do it again tonight. Open field tackling has been a problem for them this year when they have not had that edge and intensity. I think they'll have it tonight, so I think they will tackle well, and I think that's the formula to beat Brady. Tom Brady's kind of a prude. He doesn't like anybody breathing on him or touching yeah. him, any of that stuff. Get away from me. Don't touch me. So that, that's kind of how Tom Brady is. And, Spack, this goes to your point, Duncan. And, and you talk about basic, sounds cliche-ish, or it's, it's so basic, and all, it's all you hear when you football with the turnover ratio. Here's a stat for you. Last week's game at Cleveland marked the first time with Brady at quarterback that Tampa Bay won the turnover margin but lost the game. They had never lost the game under Tom Brady when they won the turnover margin. In fact, it was the first time that Brady himself had lost the game which his team turned it over a few times in their opponent since week 14 of the 2019 season when he was with New England against Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. So it doesn't happen very often. It just goes to show if you can force him into giving you the ball, and we've seen those games dunk when, when he gets pressured and he gets aggravated, he'll throw that pick six because he's getting annoyed and impatient. Even the great Tom Brady can become impatient. Yeah, and the other thing I think is key tonight along those lines is how this game is called. When the officials allow the Saints to get physical and reroute in the secondary, allow them to get a little handsy, uh, and that's the way the Saints like to play, uh, that bodes well for the Saints' ability to affect Brady and get to Brady. If they're calling it ticky-tack tight uh, and not letting the Saints get physical on the perimeter, uh, that will favor the Bucks because then they'll be able to kind of get into their routes 
So I'm really interested to see how the – I didn't see who the crew was tonight, but – I got it right here for you. You're just segueing into all my, my friends' it. columns. Clay Martin is the head – is the lead official tonight. Uh, he has been an official since 2018. Both Tampa Bay and the Saints are 2-0 and history when Clay Martin referees their games. An interesting stat, though, for Clay Martin. Good, there's good news and bad news for the Saints. The bad news is that in the 11 games that, his, that Martin's crew – uh, has called this year. The home team is eight and three, so the home team has won eight. However, that being said, against the visiting team this year, he has called fifty-five penalties, which is five five penalties per game. Against the home team, he's called eighty-one penalties. And I've been doing this trends column for a long time. I think that is the largest dis- disparity of number of penalties that I've seen for any crew, especially at this point of the season. I mean, you're talking a difference. I'm no mathematician. I went to Shaw, for God's sake. But to, to have a difference of 26 penalties between the visitor and the home team is, is a pretty big deal. Yeah, it's pretty striking. And, look, I've got some stats. I might look it up. Hold on. Carry, carry the floor here. I'm going to look at this stat real quick. Okay. Uh, but, I mean, you talk about, you know, it, now – Will that matter anything tonight? Who knows? And Taylor, we can't have holding calls. You're you're 100 percent right. Uh, they're going to be trying. Oh yeah, you're not one of those. Uh, I hope Taylor isn't one of those. Uh, the NFL hates us kind of guys. Uh, Goodell has it against the Saints. Taylor, we don't we don't want that here um, because the NFL does not hate the Saints. But they, you are right in the fact that they cannot have DPIs tonight. They have to stay away from that. Jeff Duncan, go ahead. All right, Clay Martin, statistically, this is over the last year and a half, okay? Uh-huh. <clears throat> Going back to the start of the 2021 season, he has called uh, 21 holding calls, which is not – that's kind of right that's in the middle. not a lot. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not a lot in that same period of time. This is a, probably about like a 27-game or 28, you know, 8-game, 29-game uh, body of work. Nine false starts, that's not, you know, near the top. It's one of the top. He's basically in the middle of the road. You well, know, that's he, what you want. He's eighth most penalties called in that time of all. What the about P.I.? Do you have that on there? Do you have P.I. on there? Well, he doesn't call those. Like, that's okay. it. You know, when you're the referee, you're behind oh, gotcha. the quarterback. Gotcha. So gotcha. you're calling, holding, you're looking behind the quarterback at the line and, and roughing the passer. Now, he's got five roughing the passer calls. That's not very many. Uh, no. I know the, the, the Saints fans' favorite referee, Bill Vinovich, He's only called two roughing the passer penalties in a year and a half, whereas I pointed this out, Land Clark, twenty uh-huh. in the same wow. period of time. Two yeah, but you know, 20. you know what though, you can throw out those kind of numbers out the window when it's Tom Brady because if you, if you like, if your fingernail scratches Tom Brady's arm, they're gonna they're gonna call a penalty. It's just a fact of life. I mean, you yeah. you you know when you play against Tom Brady, that those rules go out the window. Well, this is interesting. Last week. And I reported this in my column about the officiating over the weekend. The NFL acknowledged a bunch of missed calls in that in that Saints 49ers mm-hmm. game both ways. In, in, in both roughing the passer penalties, one was on Nick Bosa against Taysom Hill that extended a, a Saints drive. Uh, that was the NFL said that was the wrong call. And they said the one that the Saints had, I think it was uh, Malcolm Roach dove yes. in Jimmy Garoppolo's leg. They said that was a bad call. So both yeah. those roughing the passer calls, they didn't agree with. I, I thought that crew uh, did a not a great. I'm not going to say poor. No, they were bad. Uh, I'm going to be nice. 
but I, I didn't think they did a very good job. Uh, that 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 pass interference penalty uh, that really that killed the Saints. I mean, it really killed. I think any chances they had, and it it, it was a momentum changer as well, and it was a bad call. Well, here, uh, get this: that was the only time in a year and a half that the down judge, who's who's the, mm-hmm. the down judge right there on the line of scrimmage, it's the only time all year he's called uh, illegal contact in, in a game. Oh man, don't make me get with the with the uh, with 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 the with the conspiracy peeps. theorists. Yeah, I don't want to be with them, but that makes you wonder sometimes. Not really looking at that most of the time. Most of the time, the down judge is looking. A lot of times they are looking at the contact right away, but mainly it's it's offsides and false starts and things like that. Well, there there have been thirty or fewer points scored in the series going back to what you're talking about low scoring. There have been thirty or fewer points scored in the series in two consecutive games, but prior to those two games, they had played eleven straight games against one another in which more not only were more than thirty points scored, but in ten of those, at least one team scored thirty points. 10 of the 11. So, you know, when you're doing, when you're betting or you're trying to figure out over-unders or you're just trying to figure out how a game's going to go, it's easy to think about what's happened in the recent past. It's the same reason why, you know, amateur bettors tend to bet on what they saw last week and not take the whole season as a whole. It's why amateur bettors don't win money, frankly. Uh, You can't, you know, look at Jacksonville. Jacksonville beat the Ravens last week, who, and at the time with Lamar Jackson thinking, hey, the Ravens pretty good. What does Jacksonville do? They go on the road and they lay an egg in Detroit and get destroyed. So, I mean, you can't just go by what you saw last week. And it's the same for, for those outside of New Orleans, I think, in general. It's the same reason why the Saints, you can't think of the Saints uh, the same way just because they got shut out last week in San Francisco. To me, Dunk, they had so many opportunities inside the red zone three different times and come away with no points. You know, it's, it's you know. Well, and I'll say this. Sometimes in these games where it looks like it's going to be low scoring, because yeah. the defenses are so dominant, it actually can be high scoring because you end up with short right. fields, you end up with turnovers. Uh, you know, things kind of go crazy in games like this sometimes. With it. I mean, look at that Cowboys-Colts game last night. All of a sudden, the Cowboys scored 33 I know, they're 33 points. points in the fourth quarter. All because of the turnovers, you know. Things exactly. happen. Matt so, Ryan turned into Matt Ryan. Yeah, yeah. The Cowboys Cowboys are legit. I mean, their defense is scary. I mean, it's funny because Jeff Saturday and that offense, they managed that game about as well as they could for as long as they could, but they clearly were terrified of having Matt Ryan drop back too much against mm-hmm. that pass rush. And they could only withstand it so long before that. But they were playing scared for the most part. And they were in the game, 21-19, uh, in the third quarter. Like three minutes left in the third quarter. Exactly. It was 21-19 into the fourth quarter. Was it really? Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it was the 33 to nothing. The Colts got outscored in the, in the fourth quarter. All right. Don't give me like 60, 70 seconds to go. You know, I like to go in my soapbox at least once a show. Well, here it is. All right, Ryan, we love you because you're a regular, and we thank you for watching. But I brought it up. The NFL does hate the Saints. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to say the same thing I say every time that, that I hear this from a friend, from someone when I'm just out walking around in the street and someone wants to talk to me about the Saints and what I think. The, anyone. The NFL doesn't give a rat's patoot about the Saints. Jeff Duncan talks about this all the time. If the NFL hated the Saints... They wouldn't keep bringing the Super Bowl back here. 
They wouldn't put the Saints. I mean, think about all the time the Saints are on prime time. 65 to 70% of the time the Saints are in prime time, it's in the dome because they love coming here. The NFL loves New Orleans, and I'm not saying they love the Saints, but they don't care one way or the other whether the Saints win or not. I think in the grand scheme of things, they'd probably rather the Saints win. So there is no, 32 teams in the NFL, 32 teams fans in the NFL think that the Roger Goodell and the NFL hates their team. Just think if you were a New England Patriots fan. Oh, Deflategate and all that stuff. Think you were a New York Jets fan. Oh, that they were cheating and nothing happened, blah, blah, blah. Everyone's fans think that Roger Goodell hates their team, and you're all wrong. Every single one of you are wrong. If you think that, you're wrong. Okay, get get over yourselves. All right. Uh, yeah, I agree. Uh, this I've heard it over the years. I understand where it comes it from. Me. <laughs> but uh, trust me, I, I mean, I know a lot of people in the league office uh, and they they absolutely love New Orleans. They love the Saints storyline. They love the passion of the fans here. They love everything about it. I remember in a, in a little impromptu time talking to Roger Goodell at one of the league meetings and, and showing him the video of the floats from Crew de Vue that were lampooning him. Uh-huh. He, he, he loved probably it. loved it, yeah. He loved it. He thought it was great. I mean, like, you know, it was hilarious. So they don't hate the Saints. I, there's no reason for them to hate the Saints. Now, do they get – did they over the years probably roll their eyes at Sean Payton calling them, you know, time after time about the officiating? Sure they did. Yeah. But he's not the only one. They do it all – other teams do it too. And Exactly. Uh, it's just it, – it's a simple – answer to maybe some struggles that go on and people want to make it simple and it's not that simple it's also the same as when you watch a game you watch it and i get it i'm not telling you you should watch a game differently but because it i do it too and then i go back and look at it i'm like it's probably not as bad as i thought but i mean you you watch a game you're like you can't call that but if you were on the other team you're like well that's holding you know so i mean it's just that's just a natural human fans fans tend to look I'm a sports fan myself of teams I like. You tend to look at things through your own perspective, through your That's own correct. prism. You don't look at the other side. And and if you look at it objectively, you'll see lots of calls that go your way or lots of calls that don't go for the other team, but you tend to overlook those. And it's natural because you're looking at it from one one side of the prism. All right, we got about five to ten minutes left in the show. We're going to get to our predictions in just a few minutes. So if you want to make your prediction for tonight's game, Saints and Bucks on Monday Night Football. Now is the time to do so. I am Jim Derry along with Jeff Duncan. We do this every Friday. We're doing it on Monday this week. Um, we normally do this on Friday. We have our Saints preview. We go through the, the game. We do normally talk about Ellis and Tulane, although college football season is pretty much over now. So we'll be able to talk about them again until uh, right before the New Year's holiday. Um, but uh, there is going to be no Friday show. I didn't tell you this yet, Duncan. No Friday show this week. I'm going to take a little extended vacation, a little not vacation, but I'm going to take, take a few days off and refresh, recharge. I'm sure you'll probably do the same um, as we go in. We, we like to do it in the bye week. We, we wish the bye week were around Halloween. It shouldn't be after Thanksgiving, but uh, that's a whole other story. So <laughs> no uh, live data to this Friday. We will be back a week from Friday as we preview Saints and Falcons. And they play on a Saturday, by the way. Saints have a weird schedule coming. I got two Saturday games in a row. Play the Falcons on a Saturday on December the 18th, and then on Christmas Eve, they play the Cleveland Browns on a Saturday. That should be an interesting game. I was not impressed with the Browns at all yesterday. 
I know they beat up on the Texans, but everybody does that. So I'm starting to think that, Dunk, if the Saints can win this game tonight, I mean, I know you always get on me a little bit when I say must win because, and now looking back, maybe some of those games that said must wins that they didn't win weren't right. must, weren't win. must wins. That's my uh, point. Uh, so, so I think you were probably right. But there's no question that if the Saints have any hope to win this division, which is the only way they're going to get in the playoffs, by the way, tonight is a must win. Yes. I mean, they'll be, they would be four and nine in Tampa Bay. It's like this is a two game swing tonight, one way or the other. So I think the Saints are going to bring their A game. There's no doubt. They know it. I mean, that's been the message all week. Uh, They get a bye week. You know, there'll be a a mental uh, break for the team, a physical break. And you're right, it's a late bye week. But I really think the Saints are going to go all in tonight. Now, whether that's good enough, I don't know. I I don't know if we're doing predictions right now. but You can um, if you want. Well, I mean, I picked the Bucs to win uh, in the paper this morning. I think i got to stick with it, but – I really do think the Saints have a great shot to win tonight. I think, I think a lot is going to determine in the first quarter how this game's played. If they're in it, I think the longer they're in this thing, the better it is for them. They can't fall behind. I know that sounds like very simple logic, but they they don't want to fall behind to this team and have Andy Dalton trying to bring them oh, back. God. They've got to get control of the game early. If they're in it, and I think they will be because I think they're going to play it that way, just like the time they played here, it was three to three going in the fourth quarter. The Saints were actually up three to nothing most of the game, and we all know Jameis Winston kind of imploded in the fourth quarter and that thing got out of hand. But I think if it's three to three or something like that going in the fourth quarter, it's great opportunity for the Saints to get in and steal one. Uh, I'm going to get my prediction in a minute. You know, I never asked you what you thought about. I had someone ask me last night, um, "Do you go to the press conferences?" I'm like, "Yeah, of course I do." Why don't you ask Dennis Allen, who would the opposition rather play? Jameis Winston or Andy Dalton? I'm like, I am not. We're not going to ask that question because he's never going to want to answer another question. You can't ask that kind of question. I mean, you can ask it in a way that, you know, isn't necessarily – that's combative if you, if you ask me. Well, look, here's, here's what I think Dennis Allen would say. Uh, I think, you know, you have to look at it in two different ways. One, the opposition, if you remember – when the Bucks played the Saints here back in week two and beat them, Devin White was interviewed on the field after the game, and he said, look, we knew we played with Jameis Winston. We knew Jameis Winston would eventually throw us the ball, and he did. Yeah. So I think some people would say we'd rather play Jameis Winston because we know he's going to eventually make a mistake. And he might make a big play, but you know what you're getting with Jameis Winston. He's going to force some throws, and he might make some big plays, and he might make them for the other team as well. So I don't think it's necessarily cut and dry that they would immediately say it was Jameis. Dennis Allen would never say what you just said, by the way. He, he Probably would. <laughs> Probably would. I'm just, I'm saying. just saying it's not – everybody thinks it's simple like that. I don't think it's that simple because Andy Dalton kind of manages the game a little better than Jameis, and, but he also is much more conservative. And it's probably what he's being coached to do right now by, by the staff. I'm sure he's been hammered into his brain, don't make a mistake. And so he plays that way, but that's marching orders for him. Ryan, I mean this in all fun and all good fun. The good thing about having your own show is being able to have the last word and you saying the them coming to New Orleans Super Bowls has nothing to do with whether they like or hate the Saints. And having my own show, I can click off that comment and say, you're wrong, and move on. So that, that's the good news. 
for me at least. Um, I, I look, I, I I'm tired of talking about Andy Dalton. I really am. I I, I said it last week uh, on my my Derry's dime after the game. The stat line that he had last week, I, and I don't remember exactly, but I'm going to say about what it was because it's always the same. It was somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 of 28 or 19 of 27 for 208 yards with no touchdowns and no interceptions. It's a stat line that you could take from any game that he's ever played in his entire career. He's the same quarterback every single time he goes out there. Now, every now and then he'll have a three-touchdown game, and every now and then he'll have a two- or three-interception game. But for the most part, 85% of the time, you know exactly what you're getting from Andy Dalton. And the fact that you don't know what you're getting from Jameis Winston is exactly what this team not only needs now, but needed a long time ago. And so there's only one explanation, in my opinion, for them not changing quarterbacks. Somewhere, somehow, somewhere along the way, Jameis Winston pissed somebody off inside of that building, and we'll never know what it was. We'll never know how it happened or went down. He's not injured. He's ready to go. He's telling you he's not. He's been telling you he's not injured. And for him to come out in, the, in public and basically talk to Mike Triplett first and tell him the whole story of I was promised not to lose my job because of injury, no one under Sean Payton would ever do that, ever, ever. They'd be gone in five seconds if they did that. They'd at least be scared that they'd be gone in five seconds if they did that. So to me, that showed that Jameis Winston pissed somebody off inside of the building, whether it be Pete Carmichael, Dennis Allen, or everyone, and he's never going to see the starting job. It just That's the way that it is. And he'll be exiled out of here when the season's over, even if they have to eat dead cap space or whatever it is, they don't care. They're going to get rid of him. He's going to be gone. So you won't have to worry about him. If you hate Jameis Winston, you'll be happy when the season's over because he's going to be gone. There is a 0.0 chance that Jameis Winston is on this roster next year, and there's 0.0 chance that he starts the remainder of the season barring an Andy Dalton injury. Andy Dalton could throw four interceptions tonight, and Andy Dalton will start next week because someone inside of that building got pissed off. And that's my uh, second soapbox of the day, Duncan. I'm glad that you could sit around and, and be patient enough to let me go on it. So, um, Yeah, like, I, I, I don't know if pissed off is the right word, but I think, I think that he gave them some reason to lack confidence in him. I, I would say that's fair. Uh, he's a, this is the thing about James Winston. Uh, you know, he's a good dude. Like, I mean, he he's, is. Not, he's not a bad guy. So, like, right. now, now he's got a camp around him. I've said this before. He's got a group around him of, of supporters that are blindly loyal and support him. And that group can, can cause some problems, I think. I think the Saints have handled that group pretty well. Uh, but you see them pop up often on social media. But I think Jameis Winston's biggest problem is he's just – He's not um, capable of leading a team consistently. You mentioned it. He lacks I don't consistency. Disagree you don't with know that. what you're getting from him. And ultimately, that's, that's just a, a fatal flaw for him. It, 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 it bore itself out in Tampa, and we saw it a little bit here this year. And um, I think the Saints like the stability that Andy Dalton brings to that position. And like you said, they know what they're getting with Andy Dalton. He's the lesser of two evils, in my opinion. 
And here's my thing on that, which I've said before. I, I agree 100% with what you just said. The thing is, if the Saints were, uh, I don't know, let's say they're 4-8 and eight now. If, if they were 7-5 and five and they were ahead of the division, I'd feel differently. I'd say that Andy Dalton probably is your best shot at going to the, winning the division moving on. Because in that situation, you want stability. You want someone that's not going to take chances. You want the kind of quarterback that Andy Dalton is. However, the Saints aren't in that position. They're in, they've been in a gambling position for, for six to eight weeks now. And I, I, look, I was talking about this last night. I said after the Vikings game. So what were they, two and three after that game? I said if the Saints continue with Andy Dalton as quarterback, they're going to be six and 11. You can go back and listen to it if you want. They were two and three at the time. If Andy Dalton is the starting quarterback of this team, they're going six and 11. Well, guess what? They're on track to go. Six and eleven. They're going to go six and eleven if Andy Dalton finishes out the season. It is what it is, and that leads me to my prediction for tonight uh, at four and eight. I think this division is a complete cluster. You know what? I think it deserves chaos, just like the uh, the college football playoff deserved chaos, and they got it. And the committee got exactly what they wanted, by the way. Um, it deserves chaos, and it's going to get it. I think that the Saints are going to their defensive front is going to be able to manipulate the offensive line. The Buccaneers don't even pretend like they know how to run the football. Leonard Fournette looks like he's been going out and eating three pizzas a night. I don't know what the deal is, if he's even going to play. Um, I think Rashad White is a nice young back that is going to be good eventually. But I think this offensive line has so many problems, and I think the Saints are going to get three to four sacks. I don't know what the over-under is on, on sacks on Caesars, but I'd go look at it and take the over. If it's two and a half, which is what I suspect, take the over because the Saints are going to beat up on Tom Brady tonight. With that being said, I'll give you a little preview of, of a week from Friday. I think the Saints are going to win this division and enforce a three-way tie, and then I think they're going to go lay an egg in the dome against Atlanta, because that's just how this season's going. Yeah, I, I don't doubt that at all. That, that's exactly my point is I think they can easily win tonight, but I haven't seen enough consistency out of them to put it all together to make a big run down the stretch. That said... One win, and you get this bye week, it can change things. I mean, that is correct. Give this team some uh, motivation, maybe some confidence that they've lacked. Uh, at least get them back to having some energy and swagger, which we haven't seen enough of. But I, I expect all that to be on display tonight. There's no doubt in my mind we're going to see the body language and, and the energy and effort and enthusiasm uh, from the Saints tonight. Now, whether it's I good agree. enough, we'll see. But I, I have no doubt they're going to be all in. I think especially on defense. I think you're especially going to see some fired-up players on defense, which yes. we've kind of off and on seen. We've seen more of it than not as of late. Um, I think both last week, I thought they played with a lot of emotion on defense. Um, I don't know where Alvin Kamara's head is right now. It's, it's not here. Um, he's doing things that he's never done with his franchise. And I'm not just talking about the two fumbles, by the way. He only had seven fumbles in his career before last Sunday, and he fumbled twice in the same game. He's just not, he's not here. I don't know what, what his deal is. Um, I hope that changes. We've seen him at times play fantastically, um, and we've seen at times when, the more that Taysom Hill is involved, I think the, same, the better off the Saints are going to be, and I really think you're going to see him involved because, as we showed you, Tampa Bay has a, the 20th-ranked rushing defense in the NFL. I think you're going to see a lot of, of, of Taysom tonight. Um, 
Dunk, how come you aren't in Tampa? I thought you would have been in Tampa tonight. No, Rod, Rod went down there. I, I okay. stayed back to cover uh, Tulane, and, um, you know, we kind of switch off on road games. Gotcha. And it was his time to go. Uh, well, are you, you, are you going to spend Christmas Eve in Cleveland? Yep. Oh, man. Not looking forward to that. I'm hoping I'm... to spend New Year's Eve in Dallas uh, for, the, for the Cotton Bowl. We'll see how that goes. Okay. Well, I hope that works out. Um, I will throw a little stat out at you, and that I, that I thought that I heard uh, the other day on one of my one of the podcasts that I listen to on a regular basis. Against the spread since twenty, I think it was twenty thirteen, uh, that teams before the week before their bye week, when they're playing a division opponent, they are forty four and seventeen against the spread. The wow. week before their bye week, playing a division opponent, that is pretty uh, incredible. Well, it means that you stat there. Well, and I don't know. In this case, in this case, I think it's because you can put all your focus on that one game because you know you're off the next week. You don't have to worry about the week that that's coming up because you know you're on a bye. So, an entire week, your complete focus is on the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And I and I, the Bucks have to play at San Francisco. I'm not saying though that Tampa Bay is working on San Francisco packages this week, but you know, in the back of their minds, at least. They're thinking about the 49ers and then, man, we got to go in the San Francisco in a short week. That's not any fun. They don't get their regular Tuesday day off or whatever day off they have. It's probably out the window. So that's in their minds. You no, well, that, that's why I think they're going to they're gonna be all in tonight too because if they can win tonight, they can lose to San Francisco and still have a little bit of margin for error. And, and that, that probably will happen anyway. I know the NBA, you know, covering the NBA years, coaches know that. They're oh, yeah. going to a – they may go into a back-to-back situation, and they want to get one of those wins, and they'll go all in on one of those games. I feel like that's what Tampa's going to do tonight. Big difference in an 82-game season and a 16-game season. But, yeah. And, and gold, by the way, what Golden State did to the fans of New Orleans, I thought was kind of kind of yeah. crappy. You know, you It's been going on for two years now. Yeah, they, they shouldn't be able to do it. There, there should be some kind of I, – I don't – it's one thing if you sit one guy for no reason – but to sit all those guys like that, uh, you shouldn't be able to do that in the NBA. But we're going to talk about that in February. We're not going to talk about that in December. All right, so that's, my prediction is the Saints win tonight. I think they win. I think it's, um, like I said, a 24-20 to 20 type of game. Um, but I just think the Saints are a better football team. The Saints are, other than Tom Brady and maybe the receivers, you could argue, I think the Saints are better just about anywhere else. It's just that, that's, that's what it is. And even coaching. I think Dennis Allen and his crew, I, you know, I, I think it's it's funny because you talk about, um, you know, having a brain fart near dunk the the Brian Le- Byron Leftwich, the offensive coordinator for the for the Bucks. Um, all this talk in the offseason, and he didn't get a job, and I know a lot of people are saying he should have gotten. I, I don't see anything from this Tampa Bay offense. They completely abandoned the run game and don't again don't even try to run the football. I, he hasn't shown me anything that he deserves to be a head coach. To me, this entire Tampa Bay coaching staff is a mess. Well, I, I, in their defense, I'd say like when when you struggle up front, like with injuries, true offensive line, you just you just it's almost impossible to run the ball. It goes back to I remember right before the Saints drafted Caesar Ruiz, and they were interviewing Mike, Mike Baugh, one of the Saints' longtime scouts in the draft room and I'm sitting there listening to him talk and they were talking about the saints. And this was before the draft, the whole first round, they were asking yeah. what they thought. And he goes, look, you never know 
what's going to happen. But I got, I got a read on what they were thinking. He goes, one thing we always say in this building is God only made so many big athletic linemen. And so they, that's why the Saints like that's those the guys. truth. They're hard to find. And, and the Saints have had their share of injuries up front. And we see when they get injured up front, they can't move the ball on the ground either. I think the Bucks, they just they normally would like to run the ball. They've got good backs. White and Fournette can run. I think Rashad White's going to be a really good back. Yeah, they just can't run the ball. They're banged up as much as they've been up front. So that's a huge advantage for the Saints tonight. I mean, I, I really am interested to see how Tampa Bay thinks they're going to move the ball against the Saints. I don't see really any way unless they just do the quick passing game, try to get the ball out in space to their playmakers and hope they can make people miss in the open field. That's kind of been the game plan against the Saints. The Niners had that game plan. The Saints played it pretty well. I will say this, though, to me, the entire Tampa Bay season in a nutshell, from the coaching standpoint, you want to know what I'm talking about? Go watch how Todd Bowles managed the end of that Cleveland game last week. Yes. They had no – there was no way they should have lost that game. They could play the end of that game 100 times and they maybe lose it twice. There, they had. I mean, it was completely mismanaged. They shouldn't have not have lost that football game. They just didn't know. Coach didn't know what he was doing on the sideline. Simple as that. Uh, but tonight should be interesting. I'm looking forward to it. Dunk, uh, are you going to take any time off this weekend? What are you going to do this weekend? No, no, I'm all in this week. So okay. Do a lot of work with uh, Steve on the Gleason book. Okay. I'm making a lot of progress there. So a little t- my time away from work is work. So it's yeah, mine time. too. Mine too. <laughs> So I completely yeah. get that. I'm going to try to remember what my family looked like. I might spend uh, – I know i got to call a basketball game on Saturday afternoon. But other than that, I'm going to try to spend some family well, time. Okay. My thing as a sports fan is I'm a Louisville head coach left this morning to go to Cincinnati. Oh, I didn't hear that. Yes, which is interesting because Louisville and Cincinnati play in a bowl game. Oh, uh, but geez. now I'm curious to see if Louisville can pry – their alumni, Jeff Brom, away from Purdue, who ah. plays LSU in the Citrus Bowl. That's going to be their number one target. I don't know if they can do it or not. I don't but, know uh, if that's a step up. No offense. Yeah. It's a big it's a big hire for them now with the, with the program and, and a little bit of transition. Yeah, so that's, that's going to be an interesting scenario. But, you know, the weird thing now with the transfer portals, these coaches, it's not like before where sometimes, especially if they were in really good standing with the school and the school, on the, like a two-lane. Like a Willie yes. Fritz. If Willie Fritz would have taken the job with Georgia Tech before a couple of years ago, he would have stayed through, coached the AAC championship game, and coached the bowl game. But you can't do that now because if you, you have to be at your new school because you have to be there for the transfer portal as soon as it opens up, which is before the bowl games are played. So, I mean, they have to get there right away and start working on that. I mean, it's Yeah, just, I know a lot of different. coaches wish they'd move – the signing date around. I mean, the, I think that's, that's the correct. biggest problem is the signing date comes, you know, people get mad all the time at like Brian Kelly leaving Notre Dame when he did. There's no other option. They didn't have a choice. Yeah, they have no choice. I mean, Willie Fritz didn't want to have that come out, but it's the timing of everything because of the way the college football calendar and the signing date and the transfer portal, it's all, yeah. you got to start to take that in consideration, I think, in the future of how they work out college football because it's always going to be a bad situation. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. And, uh, look, Pels fans, I know that you're, you're probably wish we would talk more about the Pelicans. I promise that going forward we will, especially now that college football is over. I didn't even make my college, my Pels slide today. Um, they are about to play a couple – well, they played yesterday at home, and 
one again. The Pels are in third place in the Western Conference, and I know they got a couple more home games coming up this week. They play Wednesday and I believe Wednesday and Friday, if I'm not mistaken, at, at the Smoothie King Center. Dunk, enjoy the rest of your week. Don't work too hard, man. Go, go have your your dinner and drink at Clancy's and, and do your thing and enjoy yourself and you know don't make it all about work. Oh, I will. Trust me, I'll get over to Clancy's. I was there Saturday night after the Tulane game, and it was a great scene. A lot of Tulane fans in there enjoying a post uh, victory dinner. So I'll make it. Trust me. Do they have your name, uh, you know, in like a brass plate tacked to a chair somewhere? No, I'm not Norm from Cheers yet. Okay. I'm working my way to that status. No, I th- actually, I think I'm Norm from Cheers. Sometimes, well, I mean, I look a lot like George Wynn. These days, anyway. All right, Jeff Duncan, uh, good stuff there. I think we pretty much touched every base there is. And like I said, it's just, I tell you when I think it's a good matchup for the Saints. Tell you when I think it's a bad matchup for the Saints. You know, I've kind of been all over the map with picking. I've picked them too much in early, early in the year, which is why I'm, I'm, I think I'm 6-6 six and six this year when I'm picking Saints games. That's not great. But, again, I picked a, I, I was believing a little bit too much, but it's been a lot easier lately. You know, it's pretty easy to tell when the Saints going to have a chance going into a game. I think if you look, this is how you can tell to me. And really, you ought to be able to make money betting the Saints or betting against them, especially betting against them. If the Saints play a team who's rushing defense, their ranking is, I'd say, eight or better, you could almost book it they ain't winning that game. They're not going to win a game that is on the shoulders of Andy Dalton. If Andy Dalton doesn't have to do anything special, which I think is the case tonight, he just has to not screw up. If this is a Kamara and Taysom Hill kind of game, the Saints have a good chance to win, and I think that's what this is. I think you're going to see Taysom in uh, behind center or under center or whatever, however they're going to do it. I think a good 12 to 15 times tonight. I would be surprised if it's not double digits that he's behind center tonight. And after last week, you can I would I would hope that Alvin Kamara is chomping at the bit to get the football tonight. You would just hope. Because if he's not, then he's really all out. I mean, he's not here. If he if he can't wait to get to tonight and get the football against these guys in prime time in front of the world, then, then he's never going to get up. Then you can just write him off. That's how it is. And I, and I think it's going to be, I can't wait to get the football. I think he's going to carry it 17 to 20 times and catch four or five passes in a, in a screen roll, I think it's going to be a big part of the game tonight. And frankly, I don't think the Bucks have a true solid answer to stop him if he's the real Alvin Kamara tonight. Um, so there will be some. It's going to open things up for Andy Dalton. I think he'll have a decent game. So, I mean, it's the kind of game that should be okay for him. They've got to sack Tom Brady. To me, it sounds easy to look at. I mean, it sounds basic and easy. There's two things you need to see from tonight. When this, There's two things that I will say I will be shocked one way or the other if it doesn't happen. And if the Saints are able to sack Tom Brady three or more times and win the turnover battle, I don't see how they lose. 
if they aren't able to do either one of those things, I don't see how they win. If they can't sack Tom Brady three or more times and they don't win the turnover battle, I don't see how they win. So that's the key. Th- those are the two key things tonight to watch for. And we're going to talk about it on Derry's Dine tomorrow as we do our wrap-up. Again, a programming note. No datitude after tomorrow. We have a special Tuesday edition because they're on Monday Night Football. We're going to wrap up the game. And then I will still be working, but I'm going to take a couple days off, I think Friday and Monday. I haven't even told Zach that yet, so I hope it's okay. I may not be taking off Friday and Monday, but I'm not going to have datitude Friday and Monday. Uh, so the next datitude after tomorrow will be on Friday. I believe this is December the 17th, the day before the Saints take on the Atlanta Falcons. Um, so, look, all that's going on throughout the season, I said it in the open, to even have a chance to win this division of where you are. You know what would be hilarious? I mean, I've, got, I've told you this already, but I've got bets on the Saints in every kind of way, every kind of shape or form. I just didn't see how they weren't going to win nine games or ten games and be in the running to win the division. And now, where they are, I mean, they could theoretically win the over-under seven and a half. If they win eight games, I'll win that bet, and I don't even really care as much about the other ones because I'm going to win money ching-ching. But it's truly unbelievable that they're even in this position. So there we go. We're just asking you to keep staying alive. And the only way you could keep staying alive is to start it tonight. We've used the term must win probably three, four, maybe even five times. There is zero. Even Jeff Duncan says tonight is a must win. So when Jeff Duncan says it's a must win, it is a must win. Are they mathematically out of the running? They lose tonight? No. But you can all but kiss it goodbye if they can't win this game. So just keep staying alive. Keep giving the fans hope and keep giving me something to talk about other than how crappy Andy Dalton played. I'm not doing that anymore. I don't want to talk about Dennis Allen in his press game, post-game press conference talking about we got to do better. It's December. If you can't do better now, you're never going to do better, at least not in 2022. So keep staying alive. And y'all keep staying alive. And we will talk to you tomorrow when we recap the game. We hope it's happy, happy, joy, joy, and not Derry Downer. But that's not up to me. It's up to the New Orleans Saints. And we will talk to you tomorrow. Peace and love, my friends. When you're